0: Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figured Out Baseball. We've got a great Figured Out Baseball podcast for you today. Uh, we're joined by Liam Bowen. Liam is the head coach at UMBC, and he's a, he is a returning guest to the podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little more specifically pitching with him. He's a longtime pitching coach and, and a really great pitching mind, so if you're a uh, pitching coach at any level or a pitcher at any level, I think this will be a great one for you to tune into. Uh, let me give you a background on Coach Bowen before we jump into questions with him. So, he is the head coach at UMBC, a Division One program in Baltimore, Maryland, a part of the American East Conference. Uh, he is a Silver Springs, Maryland native. He became the acting head coach at UMBC in May 2019. So, 2020 would have been his first season. Unfortunately, right now we're in the quarantine phase. Uh, so these uh, of, of the COVID-19 virus. So. Uh, The 2020 season has been cut short, but he he became the acting head coach in 2019 uh, after spending eight years as an assistant at UMBC. Uh, Going back to his playing days, he played at McAllister College in Minnesota, a Division III school. He graduated in 2006 and was actually voted the team MVP in 2004. From 2006 to 2009, he was an assistant at St. Mary's College. Division III school in Maryland. While he was there, the team ERA dropped from 7.25 in 2006 all the way down to 4.60 in 2009. Really good work there. In 2011, he was the pitching coach at Lincoln Memorial, a really good NCAA Division II program in Tennessee. And then from 2012 until the present time, he has been at UMBC. From 2012 to 2019, he was an assistant coach, pitching coach, recruiting coordinator, again, before being elevated to the head coach. In 2012, the team ERA was 9.01, to show you how far they've come. In 2015, the team ERA was down to 3.30. That's the best improvement in the country during that time frame, and and really an incredible drop uh, in team ERA. In 2015, they had a pitcher with a 1.48 ERA, which set a school record. They set a school record with 351 team strikeouts. They also uh, won 34 games that year, which was the most at UMBC since 2002. In 2017, another highlight, they won the conference championship advanced to the NCAA regional. Um, uh, Coach, again, was named. He was named the acting head coach with seven games left in the 2019 season. Overall at UMBC, Coach Bowen has coached or recruited four freshman All-Americans. The team has had 33 total All-Conference selections, 15 Conference All-Rookie selections. He's coached two pitchers who have earned first-team All-Conference awards. He's coached one conference pitcher of the year, one conference rookie of the year. Uh, Coach Bowen, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us on the podcast today to talk some pitching.
1: Oh, sure thing, Jeff. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So it's been a kind of a weird last uh, couple of weeks, but uh, one of the good things about this time is that I think a lot of people – A lot of baseball coaches and players are taking time to learn and get better and, uh, and, and trying to turn this into an opportunity for themselves. And so, you know, we also at at Figured Out Baseball want to take this opportunity when normally, you know, coaches wouldn't really have time to, to be on a podcast because obviously you're busy in the season. You know, we have an opportunity to get some coaches on here for podcasts that we maybe, you know, wouldn't normally get on here in late March. Um, so we're pretty pleased with that, but, uh, Uh, how are your players taking it so far? I'm sure you're in touch with a lot of them and your assistant coaches. How's everyone sort of handling this? We've had a uh, couple weeks to process that the season's been canceled, but how are your guys uh, dealing with this right now?
1: Um, You know, we're definitely doing exactly what you said and trying to take this as an opportunity. I was really proud of how our guys handled the loss of the season because – it's obvious that it hurts. You know, that's not a secret. Our guys uh, put a lot into the 2020 season, and uh, for our, our particular team, it kind of felt like we were just starting to turn a corner, and get. we had so many new players, guys who were um, going through their first year of Division One baseball, that it felt like we were just getting settled in, and then, um, obviously, the plug the got pulled on the season, and we weren't able to complete it. So, as much as that hurt, I was really proud that our guys were, I think, pretty quickly able to see the bigger picture, which is you know, we've been asked to give our season to this crisis and other people are just getting asked for so much more, you know, the, the, the healthcare workers, the, the people who, who are either gr- going through this disease themselves or their loved ones. So, you know, the, the, um, the, the sacrifice of a baseball season, just, it, it doesn't seem quite, uh, as weighty when you start to consider some of those other factors. And, and our guys are, they're old enough, they're mature enough that they see some of those things. So, um, Nobody's enjoying it, but it's something that we understand. And then it's our, it's our job to just, like I tell them all the time, to play the hand we're dealt and not ask for better cards. So the hand we're dealt right now is to try and continue growing and whatever means are available to us. So today it's, it's being with you and getting to talk through some pitching stuff, which I really appreciate. You know, it's as coaches it's been – trying to to watch and read and learn more for the players, you know, our strength staff, and everybody's done a great job of keeping their development going, and we've obviously been active in that, staying in touch with them through calls and video conferences. So, a lot goes into it, but we're making the best of it.
0: I think that your maturity as a head coach and and your uh, just general outlook, and I'm I'm sure how you handle the team day-to-day, you know, your guys are probably more apt to be able to handle a situation like this than a lot of teams, and and that's, that's one of the one of the things i really come to respect about you is just your, your overall outlook and perspective, I think is, um, is really great and, and obviously you pass it on to your players. So, um, all right, well, let's get into the, I appreciate the, that. Thank you. I, I, I take that to heart, man. I appreciate you saying that. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I, and I mean, it. I mean, it's, it's been, uh, it's just every, every time you, t- every time you and I talk, I, I get that. And I, and I think like it just, <laughs> I just, I think you have a great perspective. I, I really do. Um, if we get into the, the pitching side of things, Coach Bowen, uh, one of the things you, you mentioned to me just before we started recording the podcast was that there are there are a lot of resources out there to help uh, a young pitcher or to help a, a coach learn uh, on the physical side of things. That physical development is, is not difficult to find, and, and maybe you're not always sure. Uh, maybe there are some that, that differ a little bit, but there are a lot of resources that are out there. Um, So we kind of wanted to dive into something different and and talk more just about pitchability um, and and about developing things just beyond the physical part of what a pitcher has to do, you know, as as far as gaining velocity and and getting stronger, things like that. But I did want to ask you before we get off that topic, uh, for someone that's listening to this and maybe doesn't know, you know, which of those resources out there are, are maybe better than others, do you have any that are, Maybe favorites of yours, or or people, or websites that you've learned from that you would recommend uh, for someone who's who's interested in learning more. Someone some a resource that they can go and just learn more about about pitching, about developing the the physical side of it. You know, getting stronger, gaining velocity, that sort of thing. Any any resources out there that you'd recommend over others?
1: Uh, I mean, there are so many, and that's why I always tell our young guys that it's such a gift to be a pitcher in the year 2020. I remember. You know, I'm 36 years old, so it wasn't crazy long ago that I was. I, I grew up, uh, like you mentioned, in Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside DC, and I'm reading the Washington Post, trying to figure, we'll – look at the pictures, and trying to figure out like what Tom lapse delivery looked like. And we've come a, a little way since then. Uh, the the name that's, um, you know, the, the the one that everybody probably knows is DriveLine, and it's for good reason. Like they've done a phenomenal job over the years of just turning over, um, you know, every rock and try and find what makes pitchers grow harder be more durable um, make their stuff play better you know i would um i would i would recommend them you know i i I think any kind of study of pitching development would be incomplete without them at this point then there are a lot of others as well um you know i think to go anywhere online like i've i've picked up stuff from lance wheeler you know the baseball think tank i think his stuff is really good um there's uh, the Tread Athletics with Ben Brewster, who's a Baltimore guy uh, originally, who, who has a lot of great stuff online. One of our alums, I'll, I'll pump a little bit, Dan Blewett, has a lot of good content online. I've stolen some things from him over the years. Uh, look, all, all of us coaches are pure thieves, as, as, as I think we all know. Like, we'll, we'll take a good idea from anywhere. And um, the delivery value system guys um, who are out in Michigan now, uh, Justin Orendorf and Will Fox, You know, they've influenced the way we do post-throw with our pitchers. Like I could name check so many people here, Jeff, just because so there are so many like bright, um, curious, hardworking people that are trying to make pitchers better that you can get a lot from all of those guys. The reason I was saying kind of what I said to you before we got on here is I think there's probably if 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 we're looking at the the landscape here, there's probably a little bit more in the velocity development and health uh, side of things uh, out there for, for in the public. Uh, domain for people to consume, and, and a little bit less on the pitchability side. And I'm just trying to be useful, you know, to the listeners here because, I, you know, I don't think anything I would say about the, the velocity development piece. I think, you know, you can find online. We've we've done our some of our own things at UMBC, and I believe in, in some of the things that we do um, to help guys with. But it, that info is out there. You know, I want to make sure we're we're trying to fill in some of the gaps that might be out there for, for some listeners and maybe some younger pitchers.
0: Absolutely, and I and I I'm in total agreement with you. But in some of those names you just mentioned about where to, you know, where people can learn about the health, uh, the the velocity development. Though, some of those names were new uh, to me, so and that was good. I I didn't know that Dan Blewett was. It, is he he's a UMBC alum? I, I follow him he's on. UMBC alum, yeah. He okay. Spoke to our team uh,
1: a couple of months ago and was absolutely awesome. Uh, he's a a super baseball mind, uh, a real deep thinker, has a lot of. Uh, you know, great personal experience um, on in pro ball that he can relate to the guys. So yeah, I would I would co-sign his stuff 100. percent I think he does a great job.
0: That's great. So after the you know once the physical the physical development stuff aside, uh, let me just start with kind of a basic question. I guess um, that I think maybe is it, it is a debate online, and I think it's important that that we have this discussion with a Division One head coach. You know, guy who's been a Division One pitching coach. Uh, There's always the argument, you know, which is important, which is more important velocity location. And and I think that sometimes there is uh, maybe too much emphasis on developing velocity without developing the rest of the pitcher. Can I just ask in general, when a guy comes on campus, if you were to have a kid come on campus, would you rather have someone who, who has developed, if you had to choose between the two, would you rather have someone who had the velocity and had the strength uh, and, the, and the pure physical ability or would you rather have someone that had spent more time on uh, developing the finer points and then you have a chance you know as far as uh, you know location and he's got you know a guy that's got a guy coming out of high school that's got three good pitches that he can throw for strikes and he's got a feel for them and, and they all have pretty good shape and movement they all come from a similar slot but he doesn't quite have the explosive uh, velocity to to really excel. If you had to pick between one of those one of those two, which would you prefer to to show up on campus?
1: So, and I'm certainly not trying to cop out because it's a legitimate question. The, the, the true answer is it depends. It depends how close the um, the element of the pitcher's game that is lacking is to being uh, good enough to translate to our level, and how much we think we can develop it. If a guy is Let's say a guy is maybe a little bit light like velocity, but he's really athletic, uh, moves really well in the delivery, has a frame that looks like it's going to be able to accept some strength, and is a great worker, super high character guy. Like that's a guy you'd bet on ten times out of ten. Um, so it, it, there are some other factors that come into play. I will say, if we're it, it, like if this were a recruiting meeting, and I'm I'm going to be as transparent as, a, as I as I can be here, if this were a recruiting meeting and we were talking about both of these pitchers. Um, you know, in comparison, maybe we just have one spot or one scholarship or what have you to, to weigh against. The guy who can land a second pitch in the strike zone will win that discussion the vast majority of the time. And that's because for me, the ability to mix speeds in the strike zone is the thing that gives a, a pitcher an opportunity to compete at our level. I've, ha- I've had and seen very, very few pitchers at our level that... Can only throw one pitch for a strike that have been effective. I think that's the thing that really separates guys uh, in Division One and, and, and across a lot of different levels, not just Division One. So, you know, that's something that when we're talking about pitchers and evaluating them, the high school and junior college guys, that that's where we go to to start figuring out if they're going to be able to help us.
0: Even in a in a conference like yours, and I want to. Uh, this is one of the things about the live podcast that I, I, I usually try not to edit because I like the live portion of it. As soon as I said American East, I felt that it was wrong, and I looked it up while we were sitting here. And it was the America East Conference, and I just wanted to correct myself on that. Uh, oh, but <laughs> uh, but it's, when I said it, I thought, well, I think I, I'm like 50-50. So anyway, I looked it up. and So in, in the America East Conference, Coach, to give people an idea, is, is there a velocity generally speaking, and again, I know it it, it, it it to a point depends, but is there a velocity that if a guy can throw this hard, then the other stuff doesn't necessarily matter? Like is there a velocity where the hitters just aren't going to be able to really do much with it where you can almost be a one-trick guy and, and maybe flip a breaking ball in there from time to time, even if it's not great, keep some guys off balance? And I'm asking this just to say to kind of um, uh, take a little bit of a different approach to the argument that velocity is really, you know, Velocity is so important that you can't overlook it because that's what's going to get people out. There's another side of that debate that says good hitters can time velocity, whatever it is. So I'm kind of asking in a backward sort of way, is there a velocity in like your conference, you know, what you see from weekend to weekend in a normal, you know, middle of the year? Uh, is there a velocity that is good enough where a guy doesn't really have to throw a second pitch?
1: So I would say no in my experience. So I I just went through my ninth year in the America East. I remember my first year in 2012, our team won 10 games. You know, we were a rebuilding program, and, um, you know, we obviously struggled uh, against our schedule. I distinctly remember a game where we played where the opposing starter was 94 to 97 for 80 pitches, and we scored 10 runs. Um, So that was one thing that kind of, as a young coach made an impression on me. It was, it was the hardest thrower that I had ever seen in the game to that point and it was our best day on offense as, as a program on a team that, that generally struggled. So uh, now the the kind of the correlator to that and the thing you have to keep in mind before people think that I've I've kind of lost my marbles and I think, you know, the throwing hard doesn't matter, it absolutely does. What it what it becomes is a little bit of a sliding scale and that is if you throw with a lot of velocity, and particularly if you throw with a lot of velocity and there's some uh, secondary characteristics to your fastball, whether it's carry, sink, just something that that has a little bit of disguise for the hitter, and you can even just start to change speeds in the strike zone, start to get the the hitter to respect two different speeds, now you have a chance to be really good. You know, a, a, a guy... Who's throwing 86 that can't um, without a lot of those secondary characteristics maybe he's really going to have to do a lot with his secondary stuff to be effective at our level whereas the guy who's throwing 91 92 93 the the pressure on the the secondary offerings and the command within the strike zone is not the same so i, I guess what i'm saying if i could like sum it up quickly would be the harder you throw the like the lower your required skill level is to be effective, you don't have to have as many of those other skills to be effective, and those skills can be hard to acquire, hard to teach. So that's why we all like velocity. Is you see a guy throwing 92, you think, man, if he could just do a couple things okay, he's going to be pretty good for us. But doing those couple things okay is, is still required. You know, there's not a, there's I've just not seen a guy who can go out there and and thump at 90 plus and and continue to be effective in division one it's just something that i haven't seen
0: and i kind of wanted to ask that just because you know in case there's a high school coach or you know in case there's a, a pretty hard thrower that's listening to this that uh you know sometimes at lower levels at the high school level for example you can get away uh without throwing the secondary stuff in my area there's a guy that i scouted last year uh for the pirates um and he at last last spring, he was like 88 to 91, but he's six foot six and, and throws downhill, and, and it's, a, it's a good fastball. He really doesn't have to throw secondary stuff. By the summer, he had blown up, and he was like 93 to 95 in one outing. And, you know, that guy's not going to have to really throw a second pitch. But I, I kind of want to just, I guess, remind anybody that's listening to this that you might not have to throw it where you are now, but when you get to the next level... You know, you, you should really work on it now because when you get to the next level, you're going to need it. I guess that's kind of what I what I wanted to just give that uh, impression or that that picture to anyone that's listening to this, and, and give them a realistic uh, look at what they're going to need to do at the next level to continue to have success.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think you're
0: dead on there. So, okay, the pitchability part of uh, part of pitching. How would you define pitchability, uh, Coach? When, I think that's a term that a lot of people hear, but I don't know that, that people have a great definition for what that is. So how would you define pitchability? How do you define it to your own players? So it's actually
1: not something that we, we necessarily define to the players, but if I was going to – because it's, it's, it's actually not a term that I tend to use because of how vague it can be, um, kind of like you alluded to there. But for me, pitchability is, is all the skills that a pitcher – needs to use to get people out that uh, don't have to do with uh, velocity. So it's the ability to create movement on the ball, the, the ability to command the ball, and most importantly, I think when we're, when we're talking about pitchability, what we're really talking about is consistency. You know, I think there's a Greg Maddox quote out there that I really like, and I, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to get it exactly right, but uh, he said at one point, he said, you know, everybody thinks I'm so smart, what I can really do is command my fastball. And I think there's a lot to that you know the guys who are really consistent with their ability to execute pitches you know that that's that's really the essence of pitch, pitchability is the uh, the the pitch to pitch standard that the best guys can uphold so that's the way I would define it
0: so how do you begin to do, to develop that as a young player um, how do you begin to develop pitchability if you're talking you know if you're working with a, a kid of any age you know whether it's a high school player or a player on your roster what are some steps to begin to develop that as a skill and, you know, I guess start on the road to being able to get somebody out besides just trying to throw the ball by them?
1: Right. So the, the number one thing and the thing that I would have, you know, any listener take from uh, from what I'm going to say on this podcast is... There has to be a rhythmic element to every throw that a young pitcher makes. So what I mean by that is every throw, not just the ones on the mound, but every single throw, you know, in drills and throwing progression, flat grounds, wherever a guy is throwing, there's got to be a cadence to it. You know, essentially like a beat to the way that the body moves. Because what I always tell our guys is, you know, when we get on the mound, if we're up there thinking about, okay, I want to have my lead elbow here and I want to really sink into my back hip and get my arm out on time. I just don't think a lot of people can, you know, make those thoughts operational and, and really translate them into performance. But what I think people can do is they can repeat a rhythm. They can they can repeat a beat. So, whatever footwork and you know, there's been different stuff I've used for different guys over the years. But when a guy is going through his catch play, whatever footwork he uses, there are times where I'll have the guy like literally count out loud, you know, one, two, three, throw, or whatever that that cadence needs to be. that he's repeating it every single time. And if we can repeat the timing, I I truly believe we're going to be able to repeat the, you know, command and repeat the ball flight that we're looking for. And that's really where it starts. So I I would just urge everybody, you know, by the time you get on the mound, if if you think, oh, the only time I'm really working on my command is when I'm on the mound or maybe in a flat ground, I don't think that's the road to, you know, being able to execute at a high level. I think you need to execute your ball flight and to a target in every single throw you make if you're gonna be a real command guy. And to me, that starts with rhythm and timing.
0: So if you're discussing catch play with somebody, um, I think that there are a lot of young uh, players out there who don't take catch play very seriously and they think that it's kind of coach speak uh, when coaches just kind of harp on how important catch play is. But but truly, uh, for you, when when dealing with pitchers, especially at at young ages, how important is catch play to begin what you're talking about and to, to help players to develop a rhythm and repeat their timing? Uh, how much of that takes place in catch play?
1: Oh, it's everything. I mean, that's the that's the foundation. I mean, it, it's not um, it's not negotiable. I've never had a guy that was bad in, in, in catch play ever and, and this, is going to, this might sound harsh, but those guys, you know, they're, they're, they will consistently disappoint the people that they rely on. It, like, to me, it's that important. It, you know, at our level, and I understand at younger levels, you may not approach it in these terms, but at our level, you know, the pitchers only play every so often, there's, and everybody in our program relies on them. It's a really important position. Um, you know, we've got the, the position guys, the coaches, the staff, you know, all the people who are invested in our program fans alums parents like they they all need that guy to go out there and do his job and if he's not able to do his job simply because he hasn't built the fundamentals in his day-to-day cash play to, to go out there and serve those people you know that, that that's a problem um, for me you know that's something that, that we take really really seriously and when i when i'm talking about cash play jeff i'm not just talking about um hey you got to throw the ball into your partner's chest for me and this is a really important point i think you have to repeat your ball flight as well. So uh, if I'm a guy who, you know, I'm going to throw two seamers and they're going to run in sync to the arm side, every single throw I make when I have a two-seam grip in my catch play, that ball flight needs to repeat. You know, it's not going to look the exact same as it will on the mound because of the distance and the angle and that sort of thing, but I've got to repeat the way that the ball moves through the air because if I can't repeat the way that the ball moves through the air, i'm really just hoping that it's going to land in the right spot because I, I i don't really know its path to the target so that's the the level of um detail and and the level of intensity that you know we want to approach catch play with and the consequence in my mind for not really taking the catch play seriously is that the most serious one out there which is you don't serve your teammates and you know that's that's our pitcher's time to to really invest themselves in something that's going to help the whole program and all these other guys, and we make sure that they do it.
0: So let's stick with catch play for a little bit. Um, if a pitcher is a guy that likes to throw a two seam, uh, that will run to his arm side, a right handed you know right handed pitcher that that throws a ball that runs into on a right handed hitter, should I be playing catch with the two seam grip and trying to make that ball do the same thing? Or for the interest of of long tossing, like when I'm when I'm long tossing and I'm stretching it out, should I, you know, throw a four seam grip and and try to air it out a little more, or should I just continue to try to do the things that I want to do? Like if I if I want the ball to move, should I continue to make the ball move as I'm playing long toss, or is there a point where uh, you get past a certain distance, you should just try to air it out with true back, you know, true backspin, like a four seamer? Uh, Just is that something you talk about with players?
1: Sure, and it's a really good question, and for me, and different pitching coaches might approach this differently, for me, the the absolute max distance and the carry on the ball is not necessarily the most important thing when when you're throwing long toss. The most important thing for me when you're throwing long toss is we're conditioning the arm basically to move really fast, and we want it to move really fast inside the delivery fundamentals that we're going to put on the mound. So if I'm a guy who I throw exclusively two seamers, if I, if if I were actually let's say if I'm coaching that guy, I would not coach him to to use a four seamer just for the purposes of playing long toss just to get the ball to go further. Now if you throw both and you know you want to work on getting the ball to carry a little bit more, maybe you're a guy who you know you got pretty good velocity and the you know the the fastball carries a little bit, you want to Get some strikeouts up in the zone, then the, the forcing long toss makes all the sense in the world. But I want to, with all of our guys, I want to make sure we're tailoring the, all the reps that they get because you only get so many reps where you can move the arm at max speed. You know, the, the arm gets fatigued quickly. We all know. So if we're going to get these these full speed reps, whether they're long toss or bullpen or whatever, I want the grip and the ball flight that's going to translate to the game for them. I want to maximize those kind of repetitions.
0: Okay, so basically I mean, you, should, you should be who you are when you're playing catch. If you're a guy that needs to sink the ball to get people out, if you're a guy that that relies on the two-seamer, that's what you should be doing when you're playing catch.
1: I think so. That's, okay. that's my approach because I don't think you can get too many reps figuring out your ball flight. Um, the, 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 I like to use metaphors with a lot of our guys, and the one I use for ball flight is, you know, it's like a paper airplane with a bent nose, where if, if you and I are throwing paper airplanes at each other, and we get a chance to throw three or four of them in a row, and the nose is bent, so it's going to curve in the way that it moves through the air. After three or four, I can probably land it on you, right? The paper airplane, I can kind of send it out wide and then bring it back to you. If you don't know which way the nose is bent, if you don't know how the, the paper airplane is going to fly, it could really end up anywhere. So like you know, that. We, yeah, we try and um, get guys to kind of simplify it and say, hey, look, we got to – we got to figure out how that nose has been, and if we do, we got a chance to, to be pretty consistent
0: with it. I like that. Um, what about playing catch with the secondary stuff? I, I don't know. This is something, in, in you know, maybe high school coaches have progressed a lot since I was in high school. Um, you know, I'm pretty old <laughs> at this point. But when I was in high school, which just I never heard that you should play catch with any of your secondary stuff. I mean, I I leg- even if I was if I was on, on a day when I was pitching, I wasn't a primary pitcher, but you know, I had. Had a pretty good arm. I had pretty decent stuff. I I took lessons in the off season where, um, you know, I'd split my time between pitching, pitching and and hitting. And but I never heard that you should play catch with your secondary stuff just to develop feel. Just wasn't. I did it in bullpens, and that was when I did it. Um, can you just talk about a a little bit about coach? Um, how much you like your guys to play catch with secondary stuff? when they should do that in their progression, their, their throwing progression. Should they do it every – is that something they should do every day, something they should only do on certain days? Uh, can you just talk about that as far as, you know, developing feel and consistency? And you keep ta- – you know, you've mentioned a couple times just repeating the ball flight, things like that. H- how important is, the, is playing catch with the secondary stuff, and can you talk a little bit of just about how often – just, what, you know, how you have your guys do that, I guess, to, the, to develop the best that they can?
1: Sure, and it's a timely question because I'm in the middle of changing it for our program. And um, just to kind of telescope out for a second, some of these things that I'm saying, I don't want to act like, gosh, I've got all of this figured out because pitching is really complicated and it's changing kind of as we speak. And we had a really good run at UMBC where, you know, we... we um, did some good things on the mound and to be transparent the past couple of years, we've, we've stagnated a little bit, I believe. Um, and I've, I've told our team this, we've worked hard, but we just haven't kind of uh, continued to, to, to grow from a result standpoint and break through the way that I would hope. And it, it's not because of velocity or our physical ability or our work ethic, all of those things are, are if anything, at an all time high, but I can say that for me, I probably or I shouldn't say probably because I know this, I I was slow to recognize that the game was changing kind of right before my eyes. And yes, velocity was continuing to increase, but as that was happening, we were maybe the guys were starting to come to us with maybe a little bit of a deficit in terms of their ability to repeat their secondary. So that, that ability to repeat the secondary went from a big strength to a weakness for us and our results, you know, that's, to me, that's the main driver why our results haven't been as good as they were a couple of years ago, or, or as good as I, I hope and think they're going to be in the future. And, and one of the reasons I'm optimistic is we're changing the way that we approach it. So, so to get back to your question, we're going to get in uh, the the 2021 season. You know, hopefully we're we're back on the field soon. But um, when we do get back on the field, we're going to be training that every day as part of the guys' daily throwing and instituting just some simple spin drills where the guys are getting the feel of all of their pitches coming off their hand early in their catch play. Because I think sometimes younger pitchers think, well, I I can't really practice my break, my breaking ball, unless I'm ripping it, you know, a hundred percent to see how the ball flight's going to work. And I don't believe that at all. I think one of the things that we need to coach our young guys on is, Hey, look, you know, you can throw a breaking ball really lightly, but if it's coming off your hand the way that we intend, and we got video where we can look at this and all that sort of thing, but really it comes down to feel. And if, if you're getting the feel of the ball coming off your fingers and getting the, the the angle of the spin the way that you want, that's a good rep. And we need as many of those good reps as we can, so we can translate them to the mound and once again serve our teammates by changing speeds in the strike zone. So I, I didn't I didn't mean to kind of go beyond the scope of the.
0: Well, this is good. It's all important stuff.
1: Yeah, it's been something that I've thought of really since our season started, feeling like, gosh, we have to, such a hardworking group of guys, and the the physical, if you saw us throw bullpens on the side, you know, the physical ability is impressive, but I think as the way pitchers have, changed, have, has, have trained has changed before they get to us, you know, me as a coach, I was just slow to respond, and that's something we're in the middle of fixing.
0: When you have your guys play catch with the secondary stuff, how often? He said you wanted to, that's something you want to do every day. Can you just talk about how you want guys to implement that?
1: Sure. So the the way that we would implement it is our guys, they do a, a warm-up, a, a full-body dynamic warm-up. Then they do like a pitching-specific warm-up that's a, basically a rolling program and a pan program. Then they throw a group of drills. Uh, with Plyo balls, we actually filmed all this stuff. I, when, when you were out at UMBC for Figure It Out Baseball, we got some good video of that online, I know. Um, right, We would be doing this right after the Plyo drill. So basically, as they start to, the, um, just as soon as they pick up a baseball, as, as, as soon as they're starting to, to throw, I want them to mix in some drills where we're just spinning the ball off our hands. It, it, and, again, it doesn't have to be very hard. And that's, that's, I think, such a misconception. But we want all of our guys to understand how to create the spin that they need, um, the type of spin that they need to execute all their secondary stuff. Um, we want as many reps of that as possible. So we're going to build it in early and often in the throwing progression. But that's when it would happen.
0: At what point, at what distance do you stop that? And I'm just I'm asking just because I'm not a, you know, as, I, as I've told you, I'm not a I'm not a pitching coach. I don't consider myself any sort of pitching expert. But, but if I'm a high school head coach, you know, and I'm wanting to put together the best program that I can for my players, I I just would like things to be laid out as much as possible. So if my guys are going to stretch it out today, you know, if they're going to play some long toss, uh, at what point, at what distance, or or like maybe, um, uh, you know, if they're if they know what distance is 100% of their max, at what at what percentage or distance should they? stop on the secondary stuff and just revert to fastballs. you just to you know, obviously to have some to have the proper distance to be able to play catch with long toss. And then on, on the way back in, like is there a time when they should start doing it again? Should they stop at a certain distance and play like should they play change-up catch? Uh, just stop at 90 feet and play change-up catch for a while. Do you have any thoughts uh, just specifically maybe the best way to do it or at least some guidelines for that?
1: Sure. So what I'm describing would be like a set of drills as the guys are inside of 60 feet for sure, and usually inside of 45. You know, I'm talking really light where the the feet are spread out. You know, we're not getting a lot of action from the lower half, and what we're really trying to isolate with each pitcher is the position of his hand at the top of the arm action, and I get that this is a podcast, you know, not a visual medium, so it it, it could be a a little tricky for me to describe, but when the hand is at its highest point, the, the, the hand and wrist already need to be in a position with it you know, they're ready to spin the ball. That's the simplest way that I can put it. Um, So isolating that and then isolating the release and creating the spin angle that we want. So it doesn't, it it, it really wouldn't go beyond 45 feet because I think at that point in our throwing progression, the arm is not all the way warmed up. You don't want guys banging their best slider, you know, at at full pitching distance at that point. But uh, just getting a little bit of feel for spin early in the progression, they can do whatever daily throwing uh, they want or they need to do that day i've had guys play that 90 foot change of catch in the past it's been more of a like a prescription drill something for a, a certain day or a certain pitcher than a standard um, but I, I think it's a good drill and then when they get back into 60 feet then i think they can play catch with all their secondary stuff at full speed and then get into whatever um, you know type of pitch execution work uh, we're going to have for that day whether it's a flat ground, a bullpen, a short box. You know, that's when you know we would be repping out those pitches. You know, full speed out of a delivery. So that would be the the general framework of incorporating the secondary into daily throwing.
0: Very good, like that a lot. Um, and this might sound funny, but as a coach, I wanted to be able to throw good secondary stuff in BP when we'd have those particular rounds. And I know that there were times when. Um, I'd even throw – we'd be in, like, a a front toss cage just for lack of space. We'd be in a front toss cage, and sometimes I would sit and throw, like, overhand from a front toss type of distance, right? But I wanted to be able to throw, like, off-speed BP even from that distance. I wanted to just be able to flip a little breaking ball in just so the hitter could work on basically timing and and being able to uh, do what he needs to do to recognize that pitch and stay back for it and still be able to put a good swing on it. And I would – I know that there were times when I I would throw into a net – from 20, I don't know, twenty twenty-five feet away and try to spin a little breaking ball in there. And like, it, it was just, it amazed me at the time from that distance that I could develop feel for these pitches. And like, there was actually some movement to it because you're not throwing that hard, obviously, but they were moving a little bit um, and, and, had the shape that they were supposed to have. And, and, like, it was just funny. I just remember thinking at the time, like, wow, I, I can't believe how much I'm able to develop the feel for this pitch from like 25 feet away, instead of, like you said, being at a full distance and trying to, you know, trying to throw a 60 foot slider, uh, 60 foot, 16 slider instead of, as opposed to being 20, 25 feet away. So just to kind of say that to, to your point, it's, uh, I felt it before you know, as far as just gaining feel for something, throwing from a lot shorter distance than you would normally in a game. So for so what that's worth.
1: For me, if we're going to get, you know, drill down and get even a little bit more technical, the, the real key to that is making sure that, that, you know, what we would say is when the ball is loaded, when the, the hand is at the top of the arm action, that, you know, whatever turn you're going to have in, in your wrist and forearm, and I'm talking about breaking balls here, but, Whatever turn you're gonna have in your wrist and forearm, it's basically already set right there. I'm a huge believer in that. I'm not a believer that, and you can look at video, you know, or still pictures of big leaguers, you will absolutely see this. I'm not a believer that every hand gets to the top, or every pitch gets to the top of the arm action looking like a fastball, and then the hand turns as it moves forward. I just don't think people can be consistent that way. You know, you got so much going on with the delivery. The arm is moving so fast fastest movement in all of sports, that internal rotation of the arm. If you're trying to adjust the positioning of your fingers and your hand as the arm is moving forward, I, I just don't think that's a recipe for success. Whereas with those little drills, those short distances, you get that thing up and loaded and it's in the right position. All you have to do is turn, throw, and you pull on the seam down and you can create some rotation that's going to lead to movement. And, and, you know, like we talked about with the paper airplane, you get the same movement at the time you're going to start
0: putting it in the zone what's the next thing coach that you do with guys to develop um the consistency that you talked about the ability to execute their pitches so that so we've talked about catch play and how important that is what's something else that you do with your players uh, or a player that needs this specifically what's something else that you do to help him develop the consistency the ability to execute his secondary stuff well, the
1: secondary stuff, uh, the, the ball flight is a big piece. The, the positioning of the hand and the arm is, the big, it, it is a big piece. If I had to pick one more that, you know, main driver of a guy's ability to uh, to land his secondary, it would be an understanding of how to move the ball around the zone. And this goes for all pitches. I think a lot of guys, I would say the majority of guys that we get, when they come to us, if, if they're trying to, let's say they're a right-handed pitcher and they're trying to throw a pitch, down and on the glove side, so down and away from a righty um, hitter. Uh, they're going to, you know, use their lower body and land in the same place on the mound that if they were trying to throw the, um, the same pitch, down and into a right-handed hitter. I hope I hope you're following what I'm saying, but basically that lower body is moving to the same spot, and then they're trying to essentially pull the ball into different locations around the zone. I don't believe that's the way the best guys do it. Um, I think if you read interviews with the best guys, you know, there's one, again, from Greg Maddox that stands out that, where he said that's his number one delivery key to get his lower half moving to the spot that he's going for um, with that pitch rather than just the middle of the plate and making adjustments with his hand. Um, that's a big part of it, too, because, and once again, this is, you know, we're, we're maybe bumping into the limitations of a podcast. A lot of this, you know, when we break it down with guys, we got video out. Uh, we're doing it in the bullpen ourselves, all that kind of thing. But um, if, if a guy is trying to throw his breaking ball, let's say, on the plate, um, you know he's going uh, to stride to the place where the ball is going to start and then the spin is going to take the ball onto the plate. If he's trying to throw that same pitch off the plate, if he lands in the same spot and then tries to yank it off the plate, now we're changing the shape of the pitch. We're changing the ball flight. It becomes unpredictable. If it's unpredictable, we're not going to locate it. So I hope I explained that thoroughly. It's a little bit of a tricky t- uh, concept to just talk through, but essentially the lower half becomes the steering wheel of the delivery. If you're trying to steer balls with the, your release point and, the you know, the, the way the ball um, or just or just any kind of action from your upper body, I think that's going to lead to a lot of inconsistency, and those guys are going to have a hard time
0: landing their stuff. Do you have any drills or anything you do with guys to be able to show them that? Uh, sure. What what kind of things? And again, I know that we're we have the limitations of a podcast. We don't have any visuals here. But is there anything that you can just talk about uh, where uh, I guess for a young guy to work on this and and really be able to sort of test himself as to what he's doing?
1: Sure. So one of the things that I would have guys do in flat grounds is just and it, this doesn't have to be every single flat ground, but just get rid of the plate. Um, you know, it's it's really just you and the target uh, is is kind of what we're after. And what I would Uh, what I've had guys do in the past is I've had the flat ground catcher move, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, uh, the guy'll start with a fastball right down the middle and then that flat ground catcher will move three feet to the left, like well further than you would ever move in a game. And I would force that pitcher to make that adjustment with his lower half. He'd probably have to turn his back foot a little bit. He'd have to get his hips moving to this new target. He wouldn't be able to simply make that adjustment uh, by trying to manipulate the the top half or the arm uh, to try and direct the ball around the zone. So, you're basically, with those bigger adjustments, you're, you're forcing the guy to incorporate some kind of change in his lower half, and then as the guy, the, the pitcher gets used to making those changes, you start to make those changes smaller and smaller to the point where he's making those finer adjustments in and out on the plate, or maybe a little in, uh, off the plate, or a little off, uh, away off the plate, things of that type, rather than um, trying to just do that by, again, manipulating the top half. I really, really believe that's a, a driver of command and something that can be learned.
0: I like that. I like the concept of making the big adjustment first and then uh, sort of extremes and then and then making it sort of smaller and finer as you go as opposed to going the other way. That's just something I, I like to do as well um, as a coach. Okay, so we we've talked about several things, several physical things as far as development um that a guy can do. How much do you have your players just screw around with different grips to like see if maybe there's a better grip out there that they haven't tried for, for any particular pitch? Is that something that you work in or is that something that you only bring in maybe if a guy isn't pleased with a particular pitch? Like, hey coach, I'm just, my, my you know, my slider just doesn't feel I just don't feel like my slider is getting very good depth, very good movement. You know, maybe you only bring it in at that time, or is that something you you maybe have guys do on a regular basis to try to see if they can screw around and find something that works better?
1: My experience, Jeff, is that you don't need to encourage the guys too much to play around with grips. (laughs) You know, it's it's something that seems kind of natural to pitchers. I know it was something I did all the time, and I liked it. I mean, I want guys to do that. You know, in their catch play, and particularly in some of the drills that we were talking about, that's a great time to say, okay, well, you know, maybe – Uh, you know my buddy over here he throws a a spike curveball grip maybe that'll work for me maybe that'll be comfortable on my hand and I I really haven't found a better way than trial and error you know I think everybody's arm action is a little bit different everybody's the way the ball gets off their hands a little bit different the hand themselves you know are are all different with all these different guys and you need some of that time to to mess around and see what's going to work for you and again my experience has been it's never had to be anything that i forced on a guy i think pitchers you know they're out there throwing every day they're 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 going to find their their times to, to mess around with some things and i think it's my job as a coach to make sure i'm really approachable and a guy can come to me and say hey coach i know we talked about the change of this way but i was trying this what do you think and when guys are doing that with me when when they're coming up and, and they feel confident they'll have those conversations with me i know we're in a pretty good place. And um, you know, a lot has come from that over the years. Believe me, like every, every good pitch we've ever thrown at UMBC hasn't been because I taught a guy some sort of secret grip. You know, a lot of it is um, guys playing around, and maybe I can give them a few ideas. There's a lot of times where I say, hey, try this grip. You know, here's how they both work. If you want to mess around with them, great. Come back to me in a week, let me know it's the right. We'll see if we can move forward with one of them, and we take it from there. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's plenty of that. It just doesn't have to be crazy structured in my experience.
0: For somebody who is messing around with some different pitches, um, this may be a little bit off topic in a way, but but in a way on topic. Uh, we had a podcast with the pitching coach at Duke, and, and he and I were talking about um, using Rap Soto, using um, Trackman, And things like that, and how basically how sometimes when a when a pitch looks like it's getting better based on you know what's what's trackable, such as spin rate and and everything else that you're tracking with those things, um, the spin axis. Sometimes the the thing that looks better on paper doesn't always is always more effective with the hitter. So if you're a a guy, a young uh, a coach or a young player. That doesn't have access to those tools to be able to measure all the measurables that that are happening at, at a lot of colleges and, and, and in pro ball at this point at this time. How do you kind of know when y- you've got a good pitch? Maybe I mean, what's an indicator? I guess are you to know that this pitch is better than the other pitch? Does that make sense? If you're trying different different curveball grips or different change-up grips. Uh, because you're ultimately trying to find something that's going to get people out, what's a measurable thing that a, that a young player or a coach can use to just be able to say, like, hey, you've tried three different ones, and this is the one I think we need to go with? Is that a fair question?
1: It's a great question. And, you know, I, I, I echo that sentiment about all the, the new tech that's, um, you know, a, a part of pitching development now, which I'm bought into 100%. Like, I think that TrackMan in particular is an amazing tool. I still think there are things that we don't understand about how pitches fly through the air. There's things about seam interaction and the way hitters perceive pitches and what their expectations are that are, that remain hard to measure. We can measure way more than we ever could. And it's awesome, but that doesn't mean we can necessarily measure everything. And for us, and and we're not a program that has access to a track man, every single bullpen, our guys throw on it uh, periodically when we can kind of arrange it, um, with some, some outside groups, but it's not something that, that we're able to do every day in our program. A lot of it um, comes back to feedback from hitters and catchers. You know, if, and, and you have to be really specific with the feedback that you're looking for because with all of our secondary, we're trying to do one of two things. We're either trying to make the pitch look like our fastball for a long time in the ball flight and then deviate from the fastball, or we're just trying to make it move so much that even if the hitter picks it up, it's going to be really hard for them to hit. So, you know, a pitch in the first category, you know, that looks like a fastball but isn't, that might be like a like a Max Scherzer slider that comes out hard, you know, on a flat trajectory and then buries down in the strike zone. And the second category, I'm thinking more like a Clayton Kershaw curveball that climbs out of the hand, but it's just got so much depth that it's hard to hit, regardless. So, I think if you approach the the hitters and catchers that you're working with and you understand the goal for the pitch. You understand which of those thing, two things that you're going for, and you say, hey, did that one look like my fastball? You know, Or you get some video of it, you track it through the air so we can do it frame by frame and that kind of thing. Like, hey, th- does that really track with the fastball? We can do overlays, and there's some things uh, to help with that. Or say, hey, how much is that moving? It's, it's really one of the two. And if you get the answers that you're looking for and guys are swinging either like it's a fastball, fastball or like they have no idea where it's going to end up, then you're probably on the right track. So even though we don't have access to those tools 24/7 the way programs at the in the, the elite conferences do I don't really think we're we're too far behind in terms of our ability to design pitches because they, you, you know the, the the data can only take you so far. I think there're still some things that have to be learned through experience and that's what we really dive into.
0: I mean to a point if a pitch is getting swings and misses no matter what it looks like it's getting swings and misses right i mean there's something is there some validity to that I, just as far as using that as feedback
1: 100 percent, it, and it just depends on the, the kind of swings and misses you know what i mean like if if you're throwing like a maybe like a little cutter slider that's meant to to mirror your fastball ball flight and guys are swinging where they think a fastball is going to be and you're throwing that pitch then you are on the right track if guys if you can tell guys are picking it up and maybe they swing and miss just because they're an off-balance hitter or they're just struggling to, you know, hit any kind of secondary, but you can see them kind of follow it with their barrel, that's a swing and miss of a different caliber. So it, it's you, there can be some degrees and gradations within the swings and misses that can give you some information as well.
0: What about the mental side of things? So we, we've talked more about uh, most of what we talked about so far is, is just physically, you know, getting what what you can do to um, to. to I guess to gain more pitchability, to get to a point where you can get people out with multiple pitches, uh, the mental side of things. And I know we don't have an, an incredible amount of time to talk about this, and maybe we we need it. Maybe we need another podcast about this. But can we kind of touch on this? Um, how, how often do you talk about the mental side of things with your pitchers? Uh, in, in what depth are you uh, are you getting into it? Are you talking about what their approach? should be, what they're thinking pitch to pitch. Uh, just just mentally, if we can give an overall picture, how much is this something that you talk about or you work on with your players, Coach?
1: We talk about it a lot. Uh, we, we, we do structured meditations. We talk about, uh, you know, kind of what it's going to take to be consistent and execute on the mound. And I am always uh, given to maybe talking about it in more general terms than specific terms. Like, hey, like, I, I kind of shy away from telling the guys hey look like when when you're on the mound and this happened this is how you should respond I, I think I don't know if it's you know it, we can be quite that specific with the mental game where, where, where we can really help guys I think is just giving them the tools overall to deal with any kind of adversity and that comes down to stuff that I'm not the first person to say but basically controlling what you can control and and understanding what your objective is and making sure you're accountable for that objective and nothing else. So the way I define our objective uh, as pitchers is to hit the mitt with the pitch that's called. We're we're not responsible for anything else when it comes to pitch execution. We're not responsible for a ball strike call. That's the umpire's job. We're not responsible for how the catcher catches it. That's the catcher's job. We're not responsible for how the hitter reacts to it. That's the hitter's job we're responsible for getting the ball to fly through the air the way that it's supposed to and landing it on the mid. And if we can do that, and we put all of our attention on that, then whatever adversity comes up over the course of a game, I think we're going to be able to consistently deliver for our teammates. And and I just think, somebody told me this a long time ago, and I think it was exactly right, is is basically everybody that, that has command has is kind of of a similar personality and and mindset. Like, there's not a lot of guys who go out there and dot it up on the mound who are really um, tightly wound guys or or guys that are given to to wild swings of emotion. The guys who who can command the baseball in our position, they they have a, a, a certain countenance about them, and that's what we try and develop rather than a specific approach to a specific situation because I think we're better served by an overall approach that can deal with any kind of issue that we run into.
0: I <laughs> I like that a lot um, control you can control you said you, you're not the first person to say that but it's it is so difficult for anyone even an adult to control what you can control and the things that are out of first of all to recognize what's out of your control and second to uh, I don't know how to say it, to be okay with the fact that you can't control it and to be able to move on you know, to, to control your reaction and to move on to, uh, to the next, the next pitch and the next thing that you can control and let the things you can't control just sort of slide off and and not affect the next thing that you're going to do. And I know that a popular saying when I, uh, you know, when I coach, which was, you know, six years ago was my last spring at this point. Um, just saying, play, you know, play one pitch at a time was something that we would say to our players a lot. And, And it was something that when they really internalized it, it, it helped. I think it helped a lot of guys because you, as long as you're focused on the next pitch and not the last pitch, then you're probably putting yourself in a pretty good position. Um, your pitchers overall, when they are going to the mound, do you have any sort of a general mental uh, approach that they take as far as are they going out there with a mentality of attacking hitters and getting quick outs you know, in three pitches or less? Are they going out there with a mentality of, uh, trying to work on the corners or, you know, work the bottom half of the strike zone. I, to me, those are still mental, mental things and mental cues, mental preparation, you know, before you get out there that I think are worth talking about. Do you have anything like that that you get into with your players, even if it's like, you know, from player to player, are those things that you talk about or that you address before a pitcher takes them out?
1: general one for our program, and we're continue to, continuing to grow with this and get better at it, is we want to create a swing with every single pitch. I'm not a believer in wasting pitches. I think the, the, the you know, cost isn't worth the benefit you get from a waste pitch. We want every single pitch that we throw to be something that the hitter is forced to defend. So even if we're ahead 0-2 and we're not necessarily obviously targeting the middle of the strike zone with that pitch, we don't want to throw a pitch that becomes an easy take where the hitter can just kind of take a break, collect himself, you know, get a ball in his favor and, and move on to the next one. We want to put pressure on the hitter every single pitch and, and try and get a swing with every single pitch we throw. And that's that's harder than maybe it sounds because there's a, there's a relentlessness to it that you have to really embrace. And I think a lot of guys in the course of competing, you know, maybe when they get 0-2 or when there's two outs, they're, they're eager for a break, you know mentally as much as anything else, and what we try and instill in our guys, what I've tried to over the years, but the better staffs have been able uh, to do the best job with it, obviously, is we want to constantly be taking the fight to the hitter and force him to swing at every single pitch we throw. When a guy takes a pitch, we want our guys to be mad, you know, and, and say, you know, I, I, I want this guy, I want to get him in swing mode so I can, you know, dictate the tempo and the terms of the at-bats. That would be the biggest one.
0: That's something that is so misunderstood at the youth level, chase pitches, or I'm sorry, waste pitches. And, um, <laughs> you know, you go to a Little League game and you're going to inevitably hear a mom in the dugout, you know, say, say, uh, you know, good waste or way to waste one or whatever. It's And it just doesn't doesn't make any sense if you really break it, you really think about it, give it any time to think about it. Um, so you guys are you're trying to create swings with every pitches. Do you ever, do you get in points or do you have guys that have certain pitches that you want to be freeze pitches Especially maybe in an O2 count, do you do you have that, or are you pretty much always in? I'm trying. I'm going to try to get this guy to swing at this pitch, and hopefully put it in a spot where he doesn't, he can't hit it, or doesn't hit it hard. I think there are
1: pitches that are naturally given to being freeze pitches. Like if you're going to throw your breaking ball, you know, it, it, let's say you're a right-handed pitcher, you're going to throw it at a right-handed pitcher, and then dump it into the plate. Like that, that's that's a pitch where you're going to get a higher percentage of freezes on. But I don't want our guys necessarily in that mindset. I want guys thinking, hey, look. This is where the pitch needs to end up. For it to end up there, I need to start at a certain place. And how the hitter responds is his business. You know, if he wants to swing at it, great. You know, it's a pitch with really good ball play, with a lot of deception. That's literally going to start at him. You know, not a lot of guys are going to fire off great swing on that pitch. And if he wants to take it, that's fine too. Cause it's going to be a strike. So, I think if we're if we're not kind of goes back to what I said before. If, if we're thinking about how the hitter's going to respond to any of these things, we think about that from a strategic point of view when we're designing these pitches, but in the game, I, I think a lot of that effort is wasted. You know, I, I, Particularly from the pitcher. You know, Maybe the pitch caller um, is going to have some of those ideas, but when it comes to our pitcher, you know, I want that guy locked into, I'm just going to blast the mid with this pitch, and whatever the hitter wants to do, I'm fine with it because I have that much conviction with what I'm
0: throwing. Maybe two more questions for you here, coach, and then we can wrap it up. Uh as a high school coach or younger, um, whether a coach is calling a pitch or whether the catcher at those levels are calling pitches, um, would you suggest that a high school pitcher or below just an an average high school, maybe not a a guy that that's gonna go, you know, has a chance to be drafted or has it is gonna go to a division one and, and a guy that's gonna, you know, pitch right away. But just talking about an average high school team You know, a high school coach is listening to this. Would you recommend that a high school team, generally speaking, sets up and has a mentality to throw the ball, basically use the middle of the plate, particularly early in the counts? And I'm asking this because I think back to my own high school days, and I wanted to try to, you know, I I tried to throw every pitch like to corners, basically, and, and walk too many people. And I think that at the high school level, to have success, if you just throw the ball over the plate, you know, guys don't hit their spots that often, uh, often enough where you can set up down the middle and you're rarely going to throw the ball down the middle. So just if you had to, uh, to kind of guide a, a high school coach or a high school pitcher and, uh, you know, assuming that you, one of the things you want guys to do at the high school level is to throw a lot of strikes, uh, what would you recommend as far as a a mentality and approach to what part of the plate that we're working particularly early in the count to get ahead?
1: That's a good question. And it can come from even just a little bit of pitch tracking and and, uh, tracking the quality of different guys' commands. So the way I would answer it is the pitcher needs to throw to whatever part of the plate is going to allow him to throw 65% strikes or better. To me, that's the the best mark for – good command is if you're above 65 percent strikes you're usually you know at least a quality control guy even if you're not directing into different parts of the strike zone and the strike zone is the absolute heart of our game where the game is won and lost so there's nothing more important than that and i think your what you say is right i've obviously gone to plenty of high school baseball games in my time and the vast majority of guys Are not going to be able to throw 65 percent strikes on thirds of the plate or to the corners of the plate they're going to have to use the entire plate and that's okay you know and what i what i tell our guys because we have guys at our level that you know they're going to need to use a lot of plate to get into the counts that are going to make them successful and what i always tell them is hey look if you want to hit a corner just throw the first couple strikes and you know we can go do that and 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 if if you prove that you can consistently do that at a really high level we can start to target the hitters weakness a little bit more but it's got to be a step-by-step process where the, the pitcher is consistently proving his command because you've seen it, I've seen it, if, if you get the cart in front of the horse and a guy is is trying to pitch in a way that his command doesn't allow, he gets below the strike percentage that's going to make him effective and then it, 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 there, there's, there's really no recourse for that. You know, it doesn't matter what your stuff is or what your competitive spirit is, you're not going to be effective and serve your teammates.
0: When you say use a lot of the plate, use the, you know third of the plate, corners of the plate, you're talking about where the catcher is set up, right? I mean, if you're saying a guy, a high school player, or even a player on your team that needs to use more of the plate, you're saying they need to sort of uh, have their focus be in the middle and then let the ball – give the ball more room to work side to side and still be a strike. Is that – am I accurate saying that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Last question. When you take a mound visit, most of your mound visits, when a guy is going to stay in the game, is there, um, are there some some general things you're trying to touch? So we've talked about the mental game, we've talked about the physical side of the game. When you go to a mound visit, uh, when a guy's going to stay in the game, he just needs a little bit of a. You need to go out for whatever reason to talk to him, and not let's take a scouting report out of it. When you're not going out to talk about a scouting report, you just kind of need to recenter that pitcher. Um, what are you saying to guys when you go out to the mound?
1: Well, there's only really one subject when you're making a mound visit and that's the future. You know, what, how are we going to get back to the dugout? You know, it's never anything backward looking. We're never out there to talk about the past or a bad call or any of those things. Uh, so for me, I just try and chart a course back to the dugout, you know, where we can get the whole team off the field and and get back at bat. So it's obviously a little different for different situations, but a lot of times, it's, hey, you know, we're going to get back to, you know, doing a particular thing that makes that particular pitcher successful. Maybe a little reminder of the scoreboard situation. A lot of times the infielders are there with you in these mound visits and you just remind those guys maybe if it's a bunt situation or a double play situation or what have you. And I think you just you need to, uh, to give the pitcher at, at that point something actionable that will get the team off the field. And kind of remind him why he's out there. You know, it might be a deal where you say, hey, look, you're, um, you know, I can tell your ball's thinking a lot today. We're going to get a ground ball in this situation by pounding uh, downhill in the strike zone. Get it to one of these guys. We'll turn a double play for you. We'll get back in the dugout. Something like that. You know, something where, you know, you give him a little bit of a map to what we all want. I think any mound visit where you're out there, you know, trying to make any kind of mechanical adjustment or, or talk about something that's out of our control. You know, that's, that's just time that's, that's kind of gone away and wasted. So that's all I really uh, You know, I think they, they have their purpose. They have their limitations. They're, I've seen them be successful if, if everybody's directed at some sort of plan that will get us off the field.
0: For a coach who's used to going out and talking about physical adjustments during the game, why do you think that, that is, it's wasted to, to talk about making a physical adjustment, you know, mid-inning, mid-game, you know, just your 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 best guidance again to a to a pitching coach um, who's listening to this and just in, in wanting to get better or again uh, maybe a head coach who doesn't have much of a pitching background. Why is that wasted time in, in your opinion, or why is that wasted uh, a wasted visit?
1: I just think the delivery, and I, I think it goes for for hitting as well. You know, I I know. Um, you know, our assistant who's in charge of our hitters. He would never try and make a, a swing adjustment with a guy while he's in the box. And it's the same thing on the mound. Our game is way too complicated. The delivery is way too complicated. And competing is way too hard. You know, it's a stressful situation. These players are young. You know, it's, it's not um, something that's always comfortable for every player. It's something that they they have to continue to, to, to grow in as competitors. You're just not going to get a, a guy who's going to be able to, to – make a lot of actionable adjustments in that moment. There's just, there are literally just way too many factors, you know. To say a guy is, um, you know, spiking his change because of a specific mechanical factor, I just don't think that's A, observable from the dugout, or B, something that's correctable for the pitcher on the mound. I think it's got to be something where you go out there and you encourage the guy and, it, you know, I'll stick with the Spiking his change if you just say, hey, let's Let's throw the change up at the catcher's mask. Maybe change the sight, change the target, rather than uh, try and change the way the body is moving through space because there's just, you know, from a biomechanics standpoint, there's just so much going on there that you really don't want to mess with it at that particular time. That's something that takes a lot of focused work, and the the, the changes would have to happen over a a
0: longer course of time than, than just one inning. It's great. Really, really great stuff. If you haven't checked out Coach Bowen's videos on the website, you should. uh, On figuredoutbaseball.com, we've got hundreds of free videos on there from great coaches like Coach Bowen. All the videos are from college coaches and pro coaches. Uh, It's a really great resource. Coach Bowen basically lays out um, everything that his pitchers do. I mean, what they're doing uh, day-to-day, week-to-week, it's all laid out in video for you to be able to follow and, and be able to see what's going on in in these division one programs and that's to me one of the amazing things about Figured Out baseball website is just the amount of coaches that are willing to share what they do to try to help other people. It's really amazing and, and Coach Bowen's got some excellent videos, but we covered different stuff in this today uh which was which was great. It's just it's I can't thank you enough for wanting to share this, for being willing to share it. I love picking your brain. Uh, I feel like I every time that you and I talk, I, I come away knowing more than I did before. So, uh, you know, personally, I appreciate it a lot. So just, uh, you know, Coach Bone, wanted to thank you for your time. Thank you for all the info and just for being a part of this. Well,
1: well, thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate all that. And thank you for making it easy for us to get this information out there. I think all of us coaches are invested in our sport at all the levels. You know, we want baseball to be better from Little League on, and, and you've made it easy for us. So I really appreciate that.
0: I appreciate you having me on today. Yes, sir. Hopefully we get back on the field sometime sooner than later and uh, everybody gets to watch some baseball and play some baseball and, and we kind of go back to some normalcy. But in the meantime, um, what a great resource, what a, a great time to be able to get better uh, and to learn in, in your sport and, and to you know share information like Coach Bowen did today. So, again, thank you so much and appreciate everything and uh, best of luck to UMBC going forward. Thanks, Jeff.
1: Same to you.